Harrisonville, Missouri. Hey, we got to know each other a few years ago, and good to see him again tonight. Good to see you folks, and I trust you take the, took the time today to have a heart cry meeting. And uh, it will make a difference as we're crying out to the Lord to give us what He knows that we need. And I trust you've had a, uh, a blessed day uh, getting the week started. And uh, a little wet out there, but uh, at least it's not cold. You know, if we were in Minneapolis right now, this would be a different ball game. <laughs> I was up there about a month ago. And actually, uh, at the beginning of the week, it was 80 degrees. By the end of the week, it was almost snowing. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, that's the way it goes up in that uh, part of the country. Uh, but uh, good to see you here tonight. Now, we have... Uh, yesterday opened up our, uh, our really our week, as Pastor just mentioned a moment ago, with that focus on God. That is really what we so desperately need. And therefore, last night we saw the one needful thing. Ah, uh, yes, we need Jesus. And we need that intense fellowship with the Lord Jesus. Whereas we sang tonight that there is a genuine love uh, that, uh, that is real. In contrast to that, we saw last night the attempt to try to do the church thing or do the Christian thing, but it is merely in the flesh. And that produces a failure. Even though it may be the form of godliness, it denies the power thereof. Now, how do we get to the real deal? I want us to see tonight a truth that really is the foundation of faith. Probably of everything we'll look at this week, in a certain sense... This is the most important truth. Because to exercise faith, you have to be convinced of the foundation of faith. And when it comes to victory, when it comes to the power of God in our lives, when it comes to being filled with the Spirit of God and knowing it, and thus experiencing personal revival, when, uh, when it comes to all of that, there has to be faith. And in order to be faith, there has to be a foundation. And so, what happens is sometimes we hear that there is provision available, but we don't know exactly what it is. So, let's ask the Spirit of God to make the provisionary truths intensely clear to our hearts tonight. Colossians chapter 3. And I will say this, uh, the story that Pastor gave of Bill McLeod. Part of what led up to that prayer, the intercession, was that God opened that man's eyes to the truth that we're going to look at tonight. In his case, it began in Galatians 2.20, which is the same truth, different passage. Uh, we looked at that, I think, the first time I was here, that particular text. Last time I was here, we looked at Romans chapter 6, in the Gospel to the Saints. That is essentially the same truth. But sometimes a different passage, a different uh, angle of it uh, will open our eyes further. So let's look at it here tonight in Colossians chapter 3, because when this truth sinks in, faith is built. Then we can pray in faith and go forward in faith and so on. So Colossians chapter 3 verse 4, When Christ, who is our life? (laughs) Oh, let the Spirit of God sink it all the way in. When Christ, who is our life? The title of the message tonight is The Exchanged Life. Shall we pray? Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for the music tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that we have sung. And Lord, I pray that in these next few minutes, you would do the supernatural work that only you can do. Blessed Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes. Lord, give us a greater understanding 
I suspect, Lord, that what we're going to look at tonight is not unfamiliar to many in this audience. But, Lord, would you take us deeper? Would you take us from general understanding to specific understanding? Lord, where there already has been understanding, may there be a renewal of it, a refreshment in it. Lord, where there's just surface understanding, Lord, would you drive the truth in so deep it's watershed. So that literally months from now, there'll be ongoing transformation that takes place as a result. Oh, blessed Spirit, would you be our teacher tonight? Oh, would you give life? I do plead the blood, Lord. Would you protect us from the attack of the evil one? Lord Jesus, once again, I claim our position in you at the throne, far above the enemy, and hold up your blood. And in your name, exercise your authority over the powers of darkness that would seek to hinder tonight. And Lord, I trust you that that not be allowed. So would you breathe on us? May our hearts rejoice at the truth. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. When Hudson Taylor was 37 years of age, he had already founded the China Inland Mission. It was already growing and expanding. And yet, he knew there was more. In his own experience, he was dissatisfied with where he was at. He said he would begin the day asking God for victory over sins like irritability and impatience. You know, I think I can relate to this man. And yet he says by the end of the day, he was having to confess the same sins that he had confessed the day before. And he knew there was a greater victory available. But he knew not how to access that greater victory. It was at that time in his life when he received a letter from a colleague in the mission by the name of McCarthy. He was on a similar pilgrimage as his beloved leader. And yet God had opened his eyes to a life-changing truth. And he was just simply writing to Hudson Taylor to declare what God was doing for his soul. And in that letter, he points out that Hudson Taylor had given him a little book. And he quotes a piece of that book, The Lord Jesus Received His Holiness Begun. The Lord Jesus Cherished His Holiness Advancing. But the Lord Jesus counted upon as never absent would be holiness complete. And friends, just let that last phrase sink in. The Lord Jesus counted upon as never absent would be holiness complete. Well, he goes on in his letter to describe how God opened his eyes to a truth that literally was transforming him. And in that part of the letter, he made a statement that God used to roll back the clouds and just pour light into the heart of Hudson Taylor. This was the statement. McCarthy wrote, Not a striving to have faith, but a looking off to the faithful one. Seems all we need. Now, friends, that was the statement. Not a striving to have faith, but a looking off to the faithful one seems all we need. Now, I want you to think with me. Hudson Taylor knew, as we sang tonight, that faith is the victory. His problem was, he was striving to have faith. In other words, he was depending on himself. The opposite of faith. And with that simple, subtle, and yet monumental shift of focus from the subject of faith, Himself to the object of faith, Jesus Christ. That's where he had a watershed moment. 
Because when he began to look at the object of faith, when he began to look unto Jesus, Hebrews 12 says, when you look unto Jesus, he authors faith and he finishes faith in our hearts. You see, when Hudson Taylor looked at Jesus, he saw an all-sufficient Savior. Sufficient for every need, every temptation, every circumstance, every trial that he would face. And he said, oh, when I saw, oh, how joy flowed. And friends, as he began to just look unto Jesus, he began to access that life of Jesus. He began to exchange the life of Hudson Taylor for the life of Jesus Christ. And friends, that is the reality of revival. It's restoration to spiritual life, life in the Spirit, the life of God, the life of Jesus accessed as the animating power to your personality. And so real was the, the transformation that was taking place in his life. He was writing letters. He was talking about it everywhere he went. People at the time um, were commenting left and right that they knew something had happened to their leader. Well, what happened? What happened was he exchanged the life of Hudson Taylor for the life of Jesus Christ. Now, friends, if you're a child of God, then positionally, You have already exchanged your sin for the righteousness of Jesus. That's a glorious reality. That has occurred. You have already exchanged the destiny of hell for the destiny of heaven. The day will come when we will exchange mortality for immortality, and we will exchange faith for sight. But I want us to understand that there is an exchange life available right now. Have you discovered the blessing of the exchanged life? You say, well, what exactly is the exchanged life? And how do you make the exchange? Well, Colossians chapter 3 here unfolds for us three major concepts that explain the exchange life. We're going to focus on that tonight. We'll just briefly touch how to make the exchange and we'll expand that. Lord willing, tomorrow night as we begin to peel back these layers of truth. Let's begin tonight with the three major concepts that explain the exchanged life. This is vital for understanding. The first concept is the new man. The new man. And that's an exchange in your spirit. It's an exchange in the center of your being. The inter, the innermost part of your being. That's what we're talking about. It's the new man. We'll say more here in just a moment. Let me go ahead and mention the second concept because we're going to see that these are going to work together. So we'll explain them together. The second concept is the new union. This is an exchange of relationship. And it's powerful. Alright, let's begin here with the new man. Look at verse 3, the preceding verse to our text. It says, for ye, let me stop right there, the ye is referring to the believers, the saints at Colossae. And if you're a child of God here tonight, then you're a saint. And so this is for us as well. And he says, for you are dead. In other words, what he's trying to say is you died. Now, I think I'm preaching to live bodies tonight. I can tell that if we uh, uh, don't stay really in tune here real quick, that that could become questionable. But uh, right now, it looks like we have live bodies in the audience. All right. Now, 
Physical death is when the soul separates from the body. That has not occurred yet for the people in this audience. That means we're not talking about soul or body. Well, there's only one part of us left. That's your spirit. That is the part of the human makeup that is referenced when it says, You died. And then it goes on to say there in verse 3, And your life, your new life, is hid or hidden with Christ in God, in the Father. What a double protection. Your new life is hidden with Christ in the Father. Now, what does it mean when it says... You died. We recognize, okay, it's the spirit part of our being, but what's that talking about? Jump down to verse 9. It says, the last half of the verse, seeing that ye have put off the old man. That's not your dad. (laughs) Hope you don't use that kind of terminology uh, that way. It says, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, when it says, have put off... That's obviously in the past tense. And that is uh, clearly what the grammar is uh, dealing with here. It's something that has been done. In fact, the actual word that is here translated, put off, means to take off completely. So look, if you're saved, it's saying that you have put off completely the old man. Now, whatever that means, it's done. It's a done deal. It has occurred. It's not that it's partial and something else has to happen uh, in this regard specifically. No, in this specific issue, you have put off the old man. Look at, at verse 10. And have put on the new man. Now, again, it's past tense. This is the spirit part of your, your being. You have put off the old man. You have put, off, put on the new man. This has occurred. In other words, there's been an exchange in the center of your being. You've exchanged the old man, the unregenerated spirit, with the new man, which is the regenerated spirit, based on verse 3. That's the part of the being that we're talking about. Now, aren't you excited? (laughs) What in the world does all that mean? It means much. Let me just try to peel back uh, some layers so that we can uh, just kind of focus on this a bit further. I want you to imagine with me the immaterial part of our being. Can we do that? Obviously, uh, the material part of us is our body. And uh, within our body, however, is our soul. That's the immaterial part. But within the soul is the spirit. That's also part of the immaterial part of our being. So that's the center of us. Now, prior to salvation, that spirit, the human spirit, the unregenerated spirit, is, according to Ephesians 2, dead in trespasses and sins. Now, do not get the wrong idea. It's not a corpse. Remember the word death means separation. It's simply telling us that the human spirit, prior to salvation, is dead to God. It is separated from God. According to Ephesians 4, it's described this way. It's alienated from the life of God. But now get this. It's alive to sin. That's why it says dead in trespasses and sin. The guy's reveling. Okay? So the human spirit 
is dead to God. It's separated from God, but it is very much alive to sin. In fact, it's joined to sin. It's in a relationship. It's in a union. Much like a marriage. But definitely a relationship with indwelling sin, or as Romans 7 says, sin which dwelleth in me. Okay, indwelling sin. So, in the immaterial part of your being, there's a union. There's your unregenerated spirit called the old man that is joined. It's actually joined to indwelling sin. So that sin, indwelling sin, is our master prior to salvation. And he's a taskmaster. Do you know that that means that everything that an unsaved person does is tainted with sin? Even the good deeds? They're not good deeds. They're dead works. Have you ever wondered why the Bible says in Proverbs, the plowing of the wicked is sin? You know, we drive the country, you know, we're driving down the road here in Iowa, and here's a guy out plowing in his field. Let's suppose he's unsaved. And God says the plowing of the wicked is sin. Why? That's what it says. (laughs) It's because everything. Even the best, noblest, humanitarian, charitable efforts of an unregenerated person are done in union, in cahoots, as my mother used to say, with sin. And that taints the motivation and defiles it all and shows that it's self-dependence producing self-righteousness that Isaiah 64 calls a filthy rag that according to Romans 3.23 falls short of the glory of God everything that an unregenerated person does. And the only way out of that terrible relationship where there's forced service, slavery, to sin, the only way out is for one of those partners to die. Verse 3, you died. See, here's the beauty of it. When you believe on Jesus, there's something monumental that takes place even in the immaterial part of our being. It's not just that we're going to heaven and all those glorious salvation truths. That is true. But we're seeing here that there's a foundation of faith for victory that is incredible if you let the Spirit of God sink it into your hearts. Now, Romans 5, 8 says Christ died for us. Okay, that means we died in Him. The person of our substitute. Does that make sense? If he died for us, then he's our substitute. That means we died in him. The person of our substitute. Okay. Then 1 Corinthians 15.3 says Christ died for our sins. Now, he's the only one that can do that. He's the Savior. But how are we going to get this union with indwelling sin broken? How are we going to die unto sin? Christ died for our sins... But how are we going to die unto sin? We can't do it. Christ has to do it for us. And friends, here's the power of crucifixion day. You remember that from 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the entire earth was darkened. Remember that part of the story? Do you remember that at the end of those three hours, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did he say that? Friends, it was in those hours that God the Son, Jesus, was separated from God the Father. Remember the word death means separation. See, here's the greater death. 
I'm not diminishing the physical death at all. I'm just simply saying that this is the greater death because he said it is finished before he died physically. It was that in those hours, God the Son was separated from God the Father. He, he, that's death. You know why? Because he was in union with us. With your sin and with mine. I'm going to tell you something, friends. This is amazing. The Lamb of God, the spotless, sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God, actually came into contact. He became sin for us, the Bible says. Friends, this is what I believe Jesus was agonizing over in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was not running from the cross. That's why He came. He was running from the way of the cross. Not running from it, but that's the, that was the burden on His heart that He would have to be separated from the Father and joined to wickedness actually in a contact, in a union with your sin and mine. But according to Romans chapter 6 and verse 10, we're told that He died unto sin once for all. And here's the beauty of it. When you believe on Jesus, when you cast your dependence on Jesus to save you from sin and hell, friends, at that moment, God identifies you in Christ therefore in His history, and therefore in His death. Which means at that moment, that immaterial part of your being, that old man, that unregenerated spirit that is just wed, that is joined, that is in this union with indwelling sin, at that moment, you were severed from indwelling sin. You were separated from indwelling sin. You died with Christ unto sin. There's been an actual separation in the immaterial part of our being. If we could just see it, I'm telling you, we'd start shouting. Even in East Kansas. <laughs> and friends, it is shouting truth, I'm telling you. Do you realize that indwelling sin is no longer our master? See, prior to salvation, it is forced slavery. But now we're separated from indwelling sin. We died with Christ under sin. We were raised with Christ the new man. There's your regenerated spirit. So that we might be married or joined to another, Romans 7, 4. Even to him who was raised from the dead, we have a new relationship. We have a new union. You see, the unregenerated spirit was exchanged for the regenerated spirit. But the former master of indwelling sin is exchanged for the new master of the indwelling Christ. That means the old relationship with indwelling sin has been forever severed and the new relationship with the indwelling Christ has been forever sealed. Man, hallelujah. Now, the former master of indwelling sin still seeks to operate within our body, but we're not connected in our spirit anymore. That's what you got to get. He still seeks to operate on the soul body levels. And yes, we can choose to yield to him, but there's the difference. Prior to salvation, it was forced slavery. Now it's voluntary service. Because we don't have to do that anymore. You know why? We're joined to the indwelling Christ. Do you realize that the provision for victory is perfect? Now, don't misunderstand me. The provision for victory, however, is perfect. It has to be. His name is Jesus. Now, it's our access of Him is sadly what is imperfect. But the provision is perfect. And he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.17 
Friends, that's an amazing statement. You know, think about this union. It's a powerful union because the regenerated spirit, the, the new man is described in 2 Corinthians 5.17 as a new creature, a new creation. The actual word there is a word that deals with a creative act of God. It is described over in 1 John 3.9 as the seed of God, literally the sperma of God. That's telling us that something of God's own nature is implanted into you the moment you trust Christ as your Savior. Now, friends, something of God's own nature implanted into us, this side of heaven, this is amazing. And do you know that's why Ephesians 4 says the new man is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. Do you realize that your Regenerated spirit is righteous. It is holy. It has to be. It's the seed of God. And it has to be because that's where the Spirit of God moves in. Do you realize that that your human spirit is completely saved? Now, it's the soul that is to be being saved. It is the body that's not saved at all. And won't be till it's glorified, so don't give it a chance. But going back to the spirit part of us, friends, it's completely saved. It's the seed of God. It is righteous. It is holy. And according to Romans 7, 4, this is where God moves in. We're raised with Christ so that we might be married or joined to another, even to him who was raised from the dead. Indicating that when the Holy Spirit moves in, it's the spirit of the risen Jesus. It's the spirit of the Christ who said it is finished. Who finished that work and rose again, conquering sin, death, and hell, and the devil. And it is the spirit of the Jesus who is exalted to the right hand of the Father, who right now sits far above all principality and power. It is the spirit of that enthroned Christ that has moved in and joined our spirit. And he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Now, friends, that is hanky-waving truth. (laughs) Friends, I'm telling you, it is. It is hanky-waving truth. I mean, this is phenomenal. I was preaching, actually teaching in a a college setting one time uh, with the uh, Reformers Unanimous program in Rockford, Illinois. They have a college there that's part of a discipleship of the uh, folk that come to the program. Dear lady from uh, New York State, uh, um, a Native uh, American uh, background was in the class. She raised her hand. She said, uh, does that mean that we don't have to sin? I said, yes, ma'am. That's the provision. And she began to weep. Friends, that is the provision. Now, we don't always access it. We know that. But the provision is perfect. We have been born again. The life of God has been birthed into us. That something of God's own nature is implanted into us. And then the spirit of the glorified Jesus moves in and joins our spirit. You could not ask for a greater provision this side of heaven. That is phenomenal. And I am sure I said when I was here last time, we need to recognize that 
this battle between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh where the former master of indwelling sin still seeks to operate, and the spirit part of our being, you say, is that your regenerative spirit or the Holy Spirit? Well, uh, yes, because he that is joined the Lord is one spirit. But that's where the battle takes place. Galatians 5.17, the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. Romans 8, you either walk after your flesh or you walk after the spirit. Okay, that's the battle. But what we have to understand is that the participants are not equals. They really aren't. And you know, often that's what we envision. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the old illustration that's been out there for years that, you know, this battle between flesh and spirit is like two dogs. And whichever one you feed the most or favor the most, you know, that's the one that wins. Uh, while it is true that you and I make choices that make a radical difference, and that part of the illustration is helpful, the danger is, do we not in our mind's eye picture two dogs the same size? We just do. I don't know what yours look like, but I know what mine look like. But they're the same size. And that's not accurate. And do you know that ideas matter? Because if you're thinking they're the same size, then it's going to go this way, and it's going to go this way. It's kind of an equal back and forth tussle. That is not accurate. As I often say, not even a chihuahua. <laughs> Versus, a, oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> Versus a Rottweiler would give us an accurate understanding. A while back, my wife and son and I were with some friends, and they have a chihuahua named Hershey. <laughs> and their chihuahua is the most docile chihuahua I've ever met. Now, I'm not quite sure if I should say this or not, but chihuahuas can sometimes be yappy. <laughs> but this one wasn't. This was a very quiet... In fact, it never barked. It didn't come and pester your feet. It just sat on the pillow and slept most of the time. Occasionally, it opened those big eyes. <laughs> well, we found out why later. The owner of the uh, chihuahua was one day out shopping on a very, very hot southern day. And... Uh, he uh, went into the store, and he failed to crack the windows, and the chihuahua nearly baked. And it had a stroke. <laughs> Sorry to give you these details, but that's what happened. <laughs> but it lived! <laughs> and it is the most docile chihuahua I've ever met. Now, here's my point, folks. When you access the provision of your regenerated spirit, which is a new creation. It is something of God's own nature implanted into you, that seed of God. It is therefore created after God in righteousness and true holiness. And that that's where the spirit of the risen, triumphant, enthroned, conquering Christ has moved in. My friends, when you access that spirit part of your being. It's a done deal. The Hershey, the Chihuahua of the flesh, doesn't stand a chance. See, there it is. Now, friends, I'm going to tell you something. It's Monday night. I understand that. But this is shouting truth. <laughs> I remember I was going over some of this at Ann Arbor Baptist Church there in Michigan where we base out of. And, uh, you know, they're Michiganders. They don't know anything about a hanky-waving truth. you probably a little closer to it than uh, being next to Missouri over here. But uh, uh, nonetheless, <laughs> in fact, the first hanky I ever saw waved was in the state of Missouri. 
I was preaching, and uh, that's the first time I actually saw it with my own eyes. I grew up in Chicago. But uh, I was telling, you know, we were dealing with Romans 6, same truth uh, there at Ann Arbor. And I'm saying, this is hanky-waving truth. And they're looking at me. Deer in the headlights, you know what I mean? They're just kind of that glazed look, you know. And uh, kind of what some of you look <laughs> And uh, later on that summer, we had a missionary show up from West Virginia. I didn't know who he was, but he showed up. I happened to be there that Sunday, and I was preaching. And I'm telling you, I'm just preaching away. I don't remember what message I was preaching. Man, out came his hanky. Man, he started waving that hanky. And boy, you could just see the people. Oh, that's what Brother John was talking about. Hanky waving truth. <laughs> You know, the guy was good at it, too. He could throw it up in the air, and on the way back down, he'd grab the corner and snap it. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> I have not mastered that myself. Now, friends, there's the first two concepts. The new man. An exchange in the spirit part of your being. You have been regenerated with the life of God, His own nature implanted into you. And then there's the new union, that new relationship, that former master of indwelling sin uh, has been exchanged for the new master of the indwelling Christ so that all relationship with indwelling sin has been forever separated, severed. And the new relationship with the indwelling Christ has been forever sealed, joined. Man, hallelujah. There is the provision for victory. Thus our text can say, when Christ, who is our life, right in the center of our being. Thus, in chapter 1, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Galatians 2.20, Christ lives in me. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ. And none of this is will be, it's is, if you're a child of God. You don't have to ask for it, it's done. You need to take it, as we're going to see. So there's our first two concepts. Now friends, that means that the lower life of just us, you know, flesh-dependent activity, can be exchanged. For the higher life of Christ in us. See, there's the higher life. His name is Jesus. There's the deeper life. His name is Jesus. There's the victorious life. His name is Jesus. How can it be otherwise? It's Him. He's the answer. He is the life of life again. He is the life then of revival. And when you access that life, and His life now is imparted to you, and you're thus energized by the very life of Jesus, I'm going to tell you something, that's revival on the individual level. It's Him. And see, it's not a matter of our trying to imitate Him. We are not talking about imitation. We're talking about impartation. You see, He moved in, and He moved in to impart to us His life so that it's participation as we become partakers of the divine nature. There's provision. The new man. The new union. But let's get practical. Third concept is the new victory. Do you know there can be an exchange of habits? I love this. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. Look again at our text. It says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, literally, be manifested, then shall ye also appear. Be manifested with Him in glory. Now, often when we read that verse, I don't know about you, but often I think, well, it's got to be talking about something eschatological, something in the future when He comes again, when He appears. Okay. There's nothing in the context that would give us a hint of that. 
It's when He's manifested in you. (laughs) Then you're manifested. See, there it is. Then shall ye also be manifested with Him in glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, there it is. When He imparts His life to you, then yes, it's your personality, it's your physical body, but the life in the spiritual dimension is His. And that's what gives power to a human life this side of heaven. That's why there are men and women who have impacted people for centuries. You know why? Because it wasn't merely them. They had exchanged their life for Christ's life and done so in a way that it became a habit. And that very life of Jesus, the eternal life accessed as the abundant life, is why there's ongoing impact and why a Hudson Taylor can still have incredible influence today in 2011. Why? Because Jesus does. There's the life. And do you know what that means, friends? That means there's hope for you and me. (laughs) Because we're talking about the engine. We're talking about Jesus. Oh, that means there's hope. We don't have to continue on in this doldrums of defeat. No, there can be exchange of habits. Well, how does it work? Verse 5, mortify. Now, the word mortify means put to death. Now, it's not talking about the unregenerated spirit. He was put to death. You died, verse 3. But there's something else that does need to be put to death. We'll see it as it unfolds here. Mortify, therefore. Now, the therefore means you can't do this on your own power. It's based on Christ, who is your life. As you depend on Him, then mortify, therefore, by His power, His life, your members which are upon the earth... Fornication, that means sexual sin of any kind. Uncleanness, that's vicious sensuality. Inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. May I remind us, folks, that he just said Christ was their life? You're talking about converts taken right out of pagan culture. And there was all sorts of baggage to deal with. He just said Christ was their life. And he's telling them to put to death some pretty bad habits. habits. I've been in churches in California where, if someone had not told me, I would not have known, but where there are members that are they're useful in the cause of Christ who used to be sodomites, homosexuals, lesbians. And friends, not only have they been born again, they have been transformed by Christ as their life. Now, I'm going to tell you something, friends. If that can happen to them with that kind of habit. Don't you think God can give you victory over your tongue? Over your temper? Over the impatience? Over the irritability? Over the bitterness? And all the junk that we hang on to that we don't need to? And so on. See, here's the power source. Mortify therefore. And then verse 6, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. See, lost people uh, go to hell for this stuff. Why partake in that? Okay, verse 7, Into which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. Okay, that's what you were. But it's not what you now are. That's what he's telling them. <laughs> You're saints now. So, deal with this. Put these things to death based on Christ who is your life. And then he moves from outer man's sins to inner man's sins in verse 8. But now ye also put off all these. Anger, wrath, That's blowing up. Malice, that's clamming up. That hits all the personalities. (laughs) Blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. In other words, 
since you have put off the old man with all that he was about, now put off all that he was about. That's what it says. Verse 10, And to put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. See, there's that, uh, what we've been talking about, where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, a barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Every born-again person, it doesn't matter about social class status, any of that stuff, man. They've got Jesus in them. There it is. Put on, therefore, based on that, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. This is huge. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, agape love, which is the bond of perfectness. In other words, since you have put on the new man, now put on the habits of the new man. You know what this is telling us? It's telling us that old, bad, acquired habits can be exchanged. For new, good, acquired habits. Did you know that you never that, that, that you were not born with bad habits? <laughs> we developed them. Choices we made prior to our salvation and choices we made even sometimes after our salvation when we continued to indulge the flesh, yield of the flesh, yield of the flesh, and so on. Bad habits. But here's the good news. They can be exchanged. Over time, old, bad, acquired habits, there's the time factor, can be exchanged for new, good, acquired habits. It only takes a moment to exchange your life for Christ's life. But you begin to do that over and over again, and now a new habit can be formed. It's called the habit of faith. And that means you'll experience the habit of grace. And that's how you grow in grace. It's when you walk by faith. Wow, there it is. What an amazing provision. This means that the works of the flesh... Because saved flesh and unsaved flesh looks the same. But the works of the flesh can be exchanged for the fruit of the Spirit. It's not us trying to imitate these things. No, it's Him imparting Jesus to us. And by the way, it's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit. It's singular. And you know, Jesus is consistent. See, when you look at love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and you think, well, i got this one, this one, and this one down. Ah, but I need to work on this one, this one, and this one. You don't have any of them. you got a few fakes, and then the rest of it is obvious need. You see, when you access Jesus, He's consistent. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Simultaneous. Why? It's the fruit. Singular. Of the Spirit. And when you're walking in the Spirit, He's imparting to you the life of Jesus. He's filling you with the life of Jesus. That's the Spirit-filled life. It's the Spirit filling you with the life of Jesus Christ. And therefore, His love. Now, friends, He's in you. He's there. You don't have to ask for that. That's a done deal. But you do need to take, as we're going to be seeing. But the provision is gloriously there. And friends, this can make a radical difference. I think of a fellow back um, in my home church who was seeking to grab a hold of this. He was struggling with understanding. He, I remember he asked me, he said, are you saying that, that somehow something happens and overnight you mature? I said, no, no. We're saying that in a moment you get on the road where you can start maturing. <laughs> the road of faith, therefore you can grow in grace. Up till then, unbelief is hindering the growth that God's trying to bring about. Okay, so... Sanctification can be hindered in its progress through unbelief, and it can be accelerated in its progress through faith. 
Well, he's sitting there and he scratched on it, but he continued reading, kept seeking God, and God opened his eyes. And he began to see the provision of what we're talking about. And I'm telling you, it was radical. That fellow was a guy, he said, he said, man, he goes, I'm not a morning person. He said, man, I've tried to get up and read my Bible and pray before I go to work. And he said, wow, it never lasts for more than two days because he goes, I just can't do it. He said, but you know, I got to thinking, Christ lives in me. He can enable me to get up. And he can enable me to get something out of his word. And he can enable me to do it more than two days. And so when he got to the second day, his wife was thinking, oh, no, this is another new, you know, new resolution. This will never last. Third day, well, okay, got a third day. Fourth day, well, that's a bit unusual. Fifth day, this is big time unusual. Sixth day, man, what is going on? And she was noticing that not only was he getting up every day and reveling in his time with God, he was no longer irritable with the kids. And it made her mad. <laughs> And she said, you know, you're being changed, but you're not telling me, you know, what's going on? How's this happening? And he began to teach her. And I'm telling you, they began to experience tremendous overhauling victory. He went from total non-effectiveness to effectiveness in the matter of souls. I'm telling you, it, it, it was glorious to watch. He was faithful as a clock, but very ineffective. And now, through Christ as his life, he's, he began to see people saved and uh, so on. And then he got to thinking, you know, as he was experiencing all this victory over a period of weeks, he thought, he thought you know... He said, you know, I could maybe, by Christ's help, I could get my family to church on time. Now, some people, some people are late because of, of legitimate things. If they're coming from a long distance, whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that are punctual in their tardiness. <laughs> and he got to thinking, you know, I, you know, if the Lord can enable this, this, and this, He can enable this. He gave a testimony in my home church 12 months later. Let's put your neck on the line. Twelve months later, he told them what I've been telling you. And he said, folks, in the last 12 months, we have been late to church only two times. Man, I'm going to tell you something. That was miraculous. <laughs> you know, the Holy Spirit's practical. and affects even issues like that. And here's a classic example of a man, just like anybody here in this church here tonight, who went from being regularly defeated, surprised by victory, now to being regularly victorious, surprised by defeat. Friends, there's hope in Jesus. They exchange life. Now, we may ask, how can the new man access the new life to enable this new victory? Well, how do we make the exchange? I'm just going to open the subject tonight. Lord willing, we'll deal with it in detail tomorrow night. What's our part? What's God's part? When it comes to human responsibility, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord so walk ye in Him. There it is. What to do? Walk in Him. How do you do that? Well, it tells us, As ye have therefore received, so walk. How did you receive Jesus? You surrendered to the conviction of the Holy Spirit about sin, righteousness, and judgment, and thus made a choice to depend on Jesus to save you from sin and hell. Okay. As you have therefore received, so walk. Just like you surrendered to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and thus made the choice to depend on Christ as your Savior, surrender to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and depend on His power one step at a time. So walk. Ah, one step at a time. That's what walking is. It's reiterated steps. Okay, so that means just like when we got saved, we surrendered to that conviction, trusting Christ. Okay, one step at a time, we can surrender to the leadership of the Spirit and trust His power. That's what we'll unfold in much more detail, Lord willing, tomorrow night. What really does that mean? But when that happens, here's what God promises. 
He promises to impart to you the life of Jesus that can easily counteract and overcome that former master of indwelling sin in your flesh. Some of the guys that wrote articles in the fundamentals called it the principle of counteraction. For example, here in the auditorium, it's of course dark outside. We've got the lights on right now, but if we turn all the switches off, it would turn dark. Okay, There's a tendency to darkness in the auditorium. <laughs> but, the building has been wired with electricity, connected to a power source. So with the simple flip of a switch, you can access that power and the law of light counteracts the law of darkness. Now, it doesn't mean the law of darkness is not there because what happens if you turn the switches off? Ah, it turns dark again. But as long as we keep accessing the power source, then the law of light, the greater law, keeps counteracting and overcoming the law of darkness, the lesser law. Now, friends, when you got saved, you got wired. <laughs> and we are connected to the generator himself who's inexhaustible. And with the simple flip of a switch called surrender faith, we can access Him. And the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus counteracts and overcomes the law of sin and death. That doesn't mean it's a done deal forever because what happens if you yield to the flesh? Then immediately the law of sin takes right back over. But as long as you keep walking in the Spirit, as long as you keep yielding to the Spirit, keep accessing the Spirit of Christ in you, and He keeps counteracting and overcoming the law of sin. Do we see it? There it is. And friends, it's kind of like this. If we had an extension cord, not plugged into a power source, not plugged into an appliance, but just the cord itself, is it, is it worth much by itself? No. But if we plug it into power on one end, and plug it into an appliance on the other end, the cord does not become powerful, but it becomes a conduit of power. And friends, you and I are like that extension cord. Unplugged on both ends, the flesh profits nothing. We're just, we're, there's nothing. But you get plugged into Christ in you, and you take those steps of obedience, the appliance of service, as it were. And friends, I'm going to tell you something. We don't become powerful, but we become channels of the powerful one himself. Now think, if we were to take this extension cord and plug it into an appliance but it's not plugged into the power. What happens? Nothing. That pictures us when we are going through the motions and man, we're working hard and we've got the form of godliness and we're denying the power thereof. Nothing happens. Flesh problems, nothing. Okay. Let's reverse the illustration. Let's unplug the cord from the appliance, but let's plug it into the power. What happens? Nothing. That pictures people who say, I'm trusting God as they sit there and do nothing. It's easy believism on sanctification and service. Which means they're really not trusting. They're believing about Jesus on sanctification, but they're not believing in Him on sanctification. But let's get it together. When you trust to obey... Then we have inflow and outflow. Not just believing that God can, but depending on Him too as we take the steps of obedience. And that's when the flow of life occurs. And that's what we need. My father was with a missionary one time at an airport for two hours. The missionary told me later, he said, John, I didn't know your dad. But he said, those two hours changed my life. How can that be? It was not because of the life of Wayne Van Gelderen Sr. It was because of the life of Jesus manifested 
through a weak but surrendered dependent channel. That is the exchange life. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Now we'll deal with much more with application in nights to come. We have focused on the foundation of faith tonight. I just want to ask this tonight. How many would say, Preacher, I'm seeing it more than I ever have before. That there have been some radical changes when I got saved. And God filled in some details for me tonight. And I am seeing that position that I have of being separated from indwelling sin, joined to the indwelling Christ, that I have that position. And it's my passion that my practice match my position. But God has opened my eyes tonight concerning what has been done. The new man joined to the new life and therefore the new union. And that's the foundation then for the new victory. I wonder who tonight would say, Preacher, God is opening my eyes. Fill in some details. He has strengthened my faith tonight. Would you raise the hand, please? All right, God bless you. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, amen. Many hands tonight. I wonder who would say, Preacher, I, I believe I've, I've had an awakening to this before tonight, and so I didn't raise my hand then, but I'm telling you, God's just rejoicing my heart. He's renewing my mind in this tonight. Would you raise the hand, please? Ah, yes. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to ask this tonight. Is there someone who would say, Preacher, I don't even know that I, that, that I have that life. In other words, if you died right now, you don't, you don't know you'd go to heaven. You don't know your sins are forgiven. You don't know that the life of Jesus has ever moved in. And friends, you need that. Salvation is not just getting you to heaven. It's getting Jesus into you. Is there anyone that would say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. Please pray for me. Would you raise your hand? Now, Lord, would you bless as we bring this service to a close. And Lord, I pray that you would just so embed this into our hearts that we would revel in what is and therefore what may be experienced. We thank you for it. With our heads bowed, if God's spoken to you, if you'd like to just take a moment to pray, if you'd like to get on your knees, you can do that. If you'd like to come up here, you can. But we'll just take a second. We won't take long at all. We've just focused primarily on the provision tonight. We'll focus more on the practice as uh, we begin to unfold the week. But uh, let me just encourage you to do what God wants you to do even now as the music just plays through one verse. Let me encourage you before you put your head on your pillow tonight to thank God from the depths of your heart that you have been severed from indwelling sin, that you are joined to the indwelling Christ, that your human spirit is regenerated, it is righteous, it is holy, and that you are in an, a, an intrinsic union with the spirit of the enthroned Christ. Just start thanking God for what is. It's the beginning of the road to victory. All right, Pastor.